Welcome to Writer Types, great conversations with today's top crime and mystery writers. My name is Eric Beatner, and this guy is the one person in the world I could call when I need to hide a body, Mr. S.W. Loudon. So Steve, who is on the show today? Eric, please, please tell me that there isn't another body. <laughs> I told you one a year. What? This is still 2018. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're all good through 2020, but this is the last one. <laughs> Our first author, Aaron Philip Clark, tries to explain why writer types is so successful. It's the rage, man. Like the rage just keeps that heart pumping. And then Nick Kolakowski explains why writer types was nominated for the Anthony Award. There's a lot of good opportunities there for man. And you know, a fairly high chance of death. And Ava Montealegre explains the best way for you at home to listen to writer types. I would definitely say new. And then I might suggest a mask. Plus a visit from the Malmans and another book giveaway from our sponsor, Down and Out Books. Down and Out publishes a wide variety of crime novels, including Pull and Prey by Angel Louise Cologne, A Taste of Shotgun by Chris Orlett, and Down with the Underdogs by Ian Truman. Those are uh, the, the only ones you want to mention there, Steve, of, of the entire catalog from Down and Out. That's that's it. Oh, no. I mean, they've got so many great books. You could you could do American Static by Tom Pitts. You could do Bolt Action Remedy by J.J. Hensley. I mean, Cannibals by Jen Connolly is great. Right. No, I mean, yeah, it's, no, it's a solid publisher. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. I'm just saying if you're going to select some off the list, is that those are the only ones that come to mind? Well, I mean, I know that they had a few novellas up for Anthony Awards last year. Like Angel's last book was part of that, I and think. I believe yours was as well. Was that? Now, remind me, Eric, was that published by Down and Out Books? That was. Both uh, Crosswise and Crossed Bones by S.W. Loudon are published by Down and Out Books. There's actually, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, nine books uh, of mine, either solo or co-written, that were published by Down and Out Books that you did not mention. But that's, you know, that's okay. Well, it's because I was thinking of Night of the Flood, because that is just excellent. <laughs> You were thinking about Wang Chung is what you were thinking. <laughs> and we're back to the previous episode, folks. Well, in addition to nine books with my name on it, you can also find hundreds more crime stories by visiting downandoutbooks.com. Uh, Steve, before we get to the show, though, this is our last episode before we jump on a plane and head down to Florida for the BoucherCon World Mystery Conference, which is a yearly event for us. We love going, and it's always a great time. But this year is a little special for us because we get to walk the halls of BoucherCon as Anthony Award nominees together as the hosts and creators of Writer Types. It's such an honor because... It is your peers in this community who are nominating you for these awards. And it's something pretty special to have them say that they thought we were in the same class with other online content like Do Some Damage, Jungle Red Writers, Drew's Book Musings, and Bolo Books. I mean, that's some incredible competition, but more importantly, some really fantastic company to be keeping. So thank you guys all for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for telling your friends and thanks for leaving reviews and subscribing to the podcast. Absolutely. Well, we are going to be coming to you next with uh, certainly more than one episode from the floor of the convention. So it's going to be a busy weekend for you and I uh, as we interview tons and tons of authors and track all the way to the Anthony Award ceremony to see if we won. 
let's get to some guests. What do you say? I'm tired of talking about us. <laughs> that gets tired real fast. Well, let's talk about author Aaron Philip Clark, who has just re-released his two novels about Paul Little, and these books are definitely worth your time. I'm a big fan. We had a wide-ranging talk with Aaron that included senior citizens and French existentialism. All right, Aaron, you're re-releasing your Paul Little books. How has it been to see the science of Paul turn into a cult novel? Oh, wow. Well... The fact that you're calling it a cult novel is a good sign. <laughs> this, this, this is the first he's heard of that, apparently. Yeah, we aim to please. We aim to please. <laughs> I mean, that's great. I, I you know, when I wrote uh, The Science of Paul was my uh, thesis, actually, for my master's program. And I was the only student in there who was actually writing a crime novel. And so for me, you know, to go from that class to actually see Paul's a series... Um, it's pretty cool. And I mean, the fact people are connecting to it is just kind of the icing on the cake for me. Master's degree. I, I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Still paying for it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the icing on the cult cake is what I took. From you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, uh, The Science of Paul was the first book that I ever blurbed, uh, which was very exciting to me. And I got maybe a little too high-minded with it, and I compared it to uh, the French existential crime writer, Jean-Patrick Manchette. Was I trying maybe too hard, or, or did I kind of get it right? No, I mean, honestly, that the prone gunman was a huge influence uh, on that book. So we actually read that in my uh, one of my master's courses. It just inspired me because it was so succinct, but he packed it, like every single passage you know, just his prose was packed with so much information. You know, it's not overwrought with these, you know, long passages, but everything is just kind of said um, straightforward, succinctly, you know, and I think there's really poetry in that. Um, so, no, I feel like that blurb <laughs> was was dead on. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that was, that was the first manchette I ever I read was The Prone Gunman. And yeah, I, I, they had the same impact on me. I was like, oh, this is this is a lot in a in a slim volume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love his work. Well, at the, at the risk of showing that I'm not very well read in the genre, which I'll just go ahead and admit right now, <laughs> I had no idea that there was a existential crime subgenre. Why have you been hiding this from me, Eric? That's, that's my wheelhouse. I, th I thought, I thought you, you were, had both feet in it. I, I didn't know that you were not uh, well read in the French existentialists. <laughs> Aaron, are you, you're probably more well read in this than I am. Is, do you, are there any other writers that we can recommend to Steve uh, in this, this tiny subgenre? I'm going to take a look at my book, bookshelf right now. Smart. The non-Magritte novels of George uh, Simonon are, he's, he has, has this whole mm. series of these, they call them these roman noirs that are, I think, very... Similar in that way. You you read my mind. I was gonna go with red lights and act of passion. I think those two, and they're really short. They're they're really like novellas, but very entertaining. And they always had this kind of you know underlining existentialist dilemma. See, I pulled the the other French existentialist out of my head. Where's my master's degree? <laughs> Well, I think you just earned it. That's a that's an honorary master's so. right there. <laughs> if I could give it to you, I would. <laughs> Where'd you get your uh, master's? I got it from Writer Types Podcast. <laughs> Aaron, your next book, The Furious Way, 
is very different. Tell us about that one. Uh, well, The Furious Way really was me jumping into more of a, I guess, the pulpy pool. Like, I wanted to just kind of throw my hat in there in terms of writing, I guess, what you could call maybe a more traditional kind of pulp novel. And at the same time, though, I wanted to focus on gentrification in, in Los Angeles. I was thinking, well, what would be uh, an interesting kind of dynamic? And I didn't want to write about a serial killer. Or I didn't want to write about, you know, some illegal organization. Or I just wanted kind of a simple revenge tale. And hold, so, on, hold, hold on a sec. I'm just going to delete my current work in progress right now while you're... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I th Eric, I think you're safe because yours is more of a cozy, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. then you're good to go. <laughs> But yeah, you know, I, I thought what would be cool is to have a, a teenage um, female protagonist and have her team up with a senior citizen. And so she's able to find, you know, Tita Garza, who is this um, old school gangster. And, you know, just like, let's see where that goes. I don't know what you guys are doing with the rest of your weekend, but I'm going to take a bite of the cult cake and then jump straight into the pulpy pool. <laughs> 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 Jump in, man. The water's fine. <laughs> the water's bloody. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, Aaron, I mean, it, just in the way you discuss uh, this this new book, The Furious Way, and definitely with the Paul Little books, it, it, it seems like you definitely have bigger ideas at play that are sort of underneath the crime uh, veneer on top. I mean, why is do you think crime fiction is the right place to talk about these bigger ideas? For me, it satisfies both desires. Being able to write about these issues, you know, social issues, at the same time, people are entertained by, hopefully entertained by the, you know, the plotting and, and you know, if it is a detective moving through these worlds and solving the crime and figure out who did what. And then you kind of sneak in commentary on a social issue. Because I never really believe that a crime novel is just a crime novel. I think it's always about, you know, something else. It's just that the crime becomes this metaphor for that statement. Well, spoken like a man with a master's degree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I actually 100% agree, and I'm glad that you put it the way that you put it. Is that something you're absolutely conscious of when you go into writing a book? Like, are you aware of the subtext? Are you aware of the commentary that you're writing about? Or does it kind of develop as the story unfolds? Sometimes. I would say that The Furious Way started... I fell in love with the character of Tito Garza because I had written a short story for Gary Phillips, Nate Hollis, P.I. And that's uh, Nate Hollis ultimately goes up against Tito in that book. And so, you know, it started with that. And then I was like, well, OK, you know, I already had Tito Garza kind of he was already existing. And so, you know, Tito Garza represents the past and this idea that whether you like it or not, L.A. is the victim of the wrecking ball and that wrecking ball is coming through. And if you're smart, you know, in his case, all his friends just kind of sold their homes to this real estate guy. And so for him, it's about getting rid of the people who do not belong. And that's these real estate folks who are coming in, flipping houses. It is kind of like, you know, what's happening to this neighborhood. You know, he just he's getting angrier and angrier. So this rage is kind of building up. Tito Garza is basically what keeps him going. You know, you ever meet those senior citizens? and You're like, man, why are you still alive? You're so mean. But it's <laughs> yeah. like. It's the rage, man. Like, the rage is, keeps that heart pumping. That's the only reason we still produce this podcast, Aaron. 
<laughs> so Aaron, I love the way your mind works and, and I'm pretty sure Eric and I could talk to you for another couple hours, but we'd really love to know what is next for you. Well, Steve, we covered that. He's talked about it. I, I, we, we can just hang up on him. Oh, well, I'm, I'm out then. Nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you and I have kind of talked around this for a long time, but if we ever do actually start a band, I insist that we're called Pulpy Pool. <laughs> I'm down. I, I, I could be in for that, yeah. Well, it's time once again to call up our resident reviewers, Dan and Kate Malman, who are also up for an Anthony Award for their anthology, Killing Malman. This time we asked the Malmans to give us some writers who they think more people ought to know about. So, uh, so yeah, who, who are some of the writers that are, uh, that are on your radar that you think should be on other people's radars? On this episode, I'm talking about Minnesota-based comic book writer Elliot Rayall. He came out with Hot Lunch Special. Elliot Rayall and, I'm going to mess this up, Jorge Fornes uh, is the illustrator. But Hot Lunch Special is a crime story very much firmly in the vein of a Coen Brothers special. Oh, yeah. And it's first and foremost, a family story about uh, a Lebanese immigrant family that uh, moves to Minnesota and opens up a, a food and restaurant business called the Landing. You guys ever have a chuck wagon uh, sandwich out of the vending machine? I, uh, I, don't, I don't believe I have. No, oh, okay. I can't say that I have, Dan. Oh, okay. I mean, they're big locally. I, I assumed they were nationwide, but it's, you know, vending machine, ham and cheese sandwiches, um, high sodium, and they've been in there however long. But we used to eat them all the time, uh, like after high school. Chuck wagon sandwiches. And that's wow. very much what, what these guys uh, make. And as they start. Oh, hold on. Hold on a second, Dan. Isn't Chuck wagon the name of a dog food brand? <laughs> Whatever it was, it was really good. <laughs> Dan doesn't care what's in the sandwich. Oh. Is it tasty or not? So it, as the family starts to expand their distribution, they get into a big-time confrontation with uh, the Irish mob, and it becomes good crime family versus bad crime family. Elliot has done um, a great job of putting his own uh, family's immigrant story into the mix on this. And the artwork by uh, Jorge is incredibly expressive. It's very much a, a gritty crime story, but with a lot of heartwarming family background to it. And I'm definitely looking forward to the next issue. That is a genuine discovery for me. So thank you very much for turning me on to somebody that I would otherwise never hear about. Well, speaking of, of inspiring, Dan, you taking your lead, I actually was inspired and I went and picked up the latest uh, X-Men run from... Marvel, DC, okay. I, I forget which. I'm trying. I'm trying to get into it. What? That's awesome. No, that's. I'm, of course, I did not do that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. But but now, but this hot lunch special. This sounds like the kind of graphic story that uh, that I would really be into. So I, I think uh, I'm going to check this out. For all of you listening along at home, that was the sound of Dan's heart breaking. <laughs> Kate, how about you? So I took a little different tack and I, I thought of like two authors that I think people need to be paying attention to. One is one to watch who's up and coming and that's R.D. Sullivan. Uh, she wrote one of my favorite short stories in the Killing Melman collection called Well Dead. It's just an absolutely chilling, well-crafted story. And this year she also released 
excuse me, also released her first novella called Hotties and Bazingas the, uh, and the Murder Cult Murders. I haven't, I'll admit, it, 2BR pile is really, really big. Um, but it's Detective Alexis Hotties gets paired with an FBI cybercrimes officer named Portia Bazingas. And they work a murder after the murder is posted to the internet. I can only imagine following that hilarity ensues. Wow. I, yeah, you you would imagine with a title like that. Right, right. I mean, how could you go wrong? So that's my like on my person to watch list. Uh, my other author that I'm recommending is Steph Post. I read her uh, Lightwood, her book that was released in 2017, and it absolutely blew my mind. Yes. Uh, she just released the follow up Walk in Fire Walk in the Fire this year. And next year, she's got a new book called Miraculum that's coming out, set in 1922 in a carnival. 1922, that era of history is like one of my, is like totally my jam. So I'm super excited to see what she has to say with that. Yeah, that one looks really interesting. And have, did you read her debut novel, A Tree Born Crooked? I haven't read that one either. Okay, oh, get I, on that right now. Ah. Exactly. I say this and people at home can't see it, but there's literally a stack of books almost up to your the top of your head sitting behind you right now. Yeah, it's we're going to get crushed by it. So if we don't make it to BoucherCon, you'll know why. Kate, you you actually have to make it to BoucherCon because you're moderating the podcasting panel that we're on. So that's it's kind of imperative that you're there. I was just going to send a recording. Us too. <laughs> we're looking forward to not only the podcasting panel, but also the Anthony Awards, where this podcast is nominated for an award, and all four of us should feel very proud of ourselves, don't you think? Absolutely. No, so. this is an awesome thing, and uh, we've been super excited to come along with it since the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steve, we're on the verge of uh, becoming actually sincere here for a moment. Let's. We need to quickly veer away from that. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know how nervous it makes me to sound sincere. <laughs> Well, see, you know those books that have a title that just grabs you and you just have to know what that book is about? Uh, I do, because I just recently saw a book called Boise Long Pig Hunting Club, and I just had to know more. Well, you're in luck, because the author of that wild and crazy title, Nick Kolakowski, is in the studio. Actually, Eric, I'm at a point now where I don't feel like we should have to introduce our guests. I agree with you. We're doing, yeah. we're we're a couple of suckers doing doing the hard work. Yeah, why are we doing the heavy lifting? Nick, tell us about yourself. Well, I have been writing crime fiction since I was a wee lad, thanks to my dad giving me a copy of Raymond Chandler's Troubles My Business at an extraordinarily impressionable age. I think it is a decision that he mildly regrets in retrospect because um, you know, I just became completely obsessed with the genre. I've only been writing crime fiction though for I, kind of in you know a serious way with intent to publish for a couple of years, um, and I've focused quite a bit on rural noir despite living in New York City. My wife is from Boise, and we go out to Idaho a number of times a year, and an increasing amount of my fiction is actually set there. Love doing it and hope to keep doing it for the foreseeable future because it's a lot of fun to sort of let that inner beast out and kind of let it sort of rampage around without, you know, kind of risking jail time or anything that comes with actually doing depraved things in real life. So you, you mentioned Idaho um, and your new book is called Boise Long Pig Hunting Club. 
Uh, what was the inspiration for that genius title? <laughs> Another kind of mild obsession of mine has always been The Most Dangerous Game, which is a short story that originally came out in 1924 and was made into movies. There's something extraordinarily compelling about the idea of people hunting other people. You know, your, your first instinct is to wonder, well, you know, if I was in that situation where people were hunting me through some environment, you know, like, what would I do? How long would I live? I mean, in real life, my, my actual answer would probably be 30 seconds for myself. But, <laughs> I, I, but I've been fascinated with the idea of, you know, like, kind of, how would you survive that? How would you survive sort of being the prey? And then um, years ago, when I first started going out to Idaho, if, if you've ever been there, I mean, you have Treasure Valley, Boise, so on, but this, as soon as you drive out of it, it's one of the least populated, if not the most least populated state in the United States, suddenly you are just in the middle of nowhere. And those two ideas came together. There were other non-sort of Boise elements that kind of threw in there. For example, there's, there's an abandoned clown motel in Nevada where I've actually never been, but it's on Atlas Obscura. And I read about it years ago and I'm like, I need to set something there. I need to set like a suspenseful stock in that place because, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like every fear that everybody has about clowns. But somebody decided to take that fear and transform it into a place where you can pay per night to sit there amidst dozens of clowns peering at you with like their dull little glassy eyes um <laughs> well now wait a minute this, I, you missed an opportunity to have a tax write-off uh, research trip there <laughs> oh yeah why, why did you not travel to the well i mean other than the the fear i guess it's a good idea though to to think about kind of where you can actually go for location setting um for years i've wanted to write something set in Centralia, which is the little Pennsylvania town where there's there's been a coal fire underneath for 40 years and it's been abandoned but um, it, it's, it's, you know, that there's sulfur vents and collapsed buildings and it's, it seems like the perfect setting for something, but I've never been able to persuade somebody to go with me. But that, I mean, that's another <laughs> example of something where there'd be kind of an ideal tax write-off and, you know, a fairly high chance of death. So, but, but that, hey, road trip. If I, if I understand it correctly, yeah. that coal fire was set by clowns. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, there's, there's a secret cabal of clowns in America that are like setting up like natural disasters. <laughs> Coming to you soon from like, you know, Stephen King's mind. Yeah. Hey, I, Steve, uh, let's load up the station wagon. We'll pick up Nick on the way. We are going. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, there's, there's, there's a lot of good opportunities there for man. Well, prior to this new novel, Boise Long Pig Hunting Club, you published two novellas and a short story collection. Oh. Uh, were there any challenges on writing something a little bit longer this time around? Yeah, there was. I mean, I was, the, the two novellas previous to this were, you know, because they were novellas roughly about kind of half the length. And the problem that I actually had was I got so prolix once I told myself that this was going to be a novel that I ended up having to like chop all sorts of things out. My second draft was, was very much a matter of, you know, this 5,000 words can go, this 10,000 words of backstory can go. So wow. it, it, it was more a question of trying to preserve like the energy and trying to make sure that there was sort of high energy throughout the whole thing and not being afraid to kind of be on the shorter side you know even though my first draft was probably about 30 percent longer than um the actual final manuscript so it was it was it was a different problem than i kind of maybe expected going in where i was like oh my god i want to bite off something huge can i chew this down how long is it going to get I've seen your books described as Gonzo Noir and mm -hmm. The Bastard Child of Joe Lansdale and James Lee Burke. How do you That's describe a, wow. your own writing? 
I try to inject a certain element of madcap into my writing. I try to like my writing tends to exist in, in sort of a heightened reality kind of a not, not exactly cartoonish, but I, I try to take reality, you know, if, if, if it, this were almost like a camera setting and kind of do it one click wider. So there's just a little bit more light only in this case, the light happens to be, you know, complete insanity. So Nick, you've, you've just released this new novel. So you're, you're still in the afterglow of that, but tell us what is coming next from you. So the next book that I'm working on right now is actually a sequel to Boise Long Pig Hunting Club, and it is called Voodoo Potato. Um, <laughs> it is so my, so my I'm wife, in. my wife comes up with a lot of my titles. Like she came with like one of the novellas is titled "A Brutal Bunch of Heartbroken Saps." Usually, the way that she comes up with titles is that it's something random that she yells at like something. So it's it's sort of like kind of this very improv thing, and she'll say something in the course of conversation. I'll be like, "That's the title. We're doing that right now. That that's too good." She should hire herself out. That's a that's a lucrative yeah. side business for writers. Yeah, and I'm I'm terrible at titles. Like I will write down fifty potential titles, and I will hem and haw and like beat things to death. And you know they're too stereotypical typical and and blah -de blah but then like she will come up with that one thing i'm like wow that's so weird we're putting that in right now um voodoo potato is um the the two main characters of boise long pig hunting club find their way down to new orleans because the events of this first novel basically means that they have to clear out of idaho for a little while um and when they are in new orleans they get sort of wrapped up in two very bad things and it's New Orleans, so in terms of the whole heightened reality thing, that's an opportunity to have everything completely madcap and so on. Because every time I've been in New Orleans, you, that's that's what the streets like anyway. It's it's completely unreal. It's like wow, that guy's in a wheelchair and on fire and playing the saxophone and he's rolling down Bourbon Street and nobody's like everyone's cheering. So. <laughs> Well, Steve, one look at that title, courtesy of Nick's wife, which was news to me. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and we know that you want to get your mitts on this book. Well, we are here to help. As luck would have it, we have a signed copy of Boise Long Pig Hunting Club for one lucky Writer Types listener who finds us on Twitter, at Writer Types, and tells us their favorite down and out books title. Tag us and use the hashtag down and out books for your chance to win. Well, last up this time around is author Ava Montealegre, whose debut novel, Body on the Backlot, is out now. Ava's been an artist, an actress, worked in documentary film, and now she writes compelling mysteries. Your debut novel, Body on the Backlot, introduces an LAPD homicide investigator named Joan Lambert. What was your inspiration for that character? Well, um, I heard this story of a young woman who was living with her father and her three brothers, and they were all quite crazy. And there were a lot of terrible, violent things that occurred with people outside of the family where neighbors were threatened, people were threatened that their ears were going to be cut off and um, you might walk down the street and you'd see somebody hanging from a tree by their ankles and then you'd find out that one of the the boys or the father tied them up in the tree by their ankles just to be mean just they were big kind of mountain people and, uh, <laughs> wow yeah they were kind of intensely uh earthy and so <laughs> and later i heard stories that the daughter who was very sweet that she had shot her father oh 
and that it was considered justified homicide. Well, it sounds like it, yeah, from what you described. Wow. And so she is the character, although all my friends say it's me, but... (laughs) Well, beyond just this character, the plot of this book is absolutely insane in the best possible way. You've got everything from a killing spree, a voodoo cult, pharmaceutical experiments, real-life zombies. I mean, how did all of these elements come together in this concept? Well, I have to be quite honest. It started out very simple. It was just going to be about runaways. But when I did a lot of my research, I I hung out with the LAPD homicide detectives. And then I, I just learned so many things. And, you know, runaways bad things happen to runaways. They get exposed to a lot of things because they need shelter and food and they they need family. And, and so then people that are not so admirable offer these things to them and they it's quite dangerous out there. And I learned a lot of things. So that's how it got so, you know, so big. Your character of Joan Lambert has been compared to Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch. And the cover of your book features a blurb from Connolly himself uh, is he a major influence on you? Oh, absolutely. Even before I met him, I had read all of his work. And then he very kindly um, became my mentor. Um, he didn't like hold my hand a lot. It wasn't really that close. And, you know, he's not huggy, feely kind of guy. He's very serious and, and, and maybe just a little bit grumpy. But he was very kind and supportive and he helped me. Basically, just the fact that he was willing to read my work, I thought that was a great gift. And then he did respond to it. And, and you know, there were a lot of comments he made, but I have to say the best comment ever was, this is a pretty good book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. my God. <laughs> you know, I was so happy he couldn't have said anything <laughs> more happy-making for me. That's so, great. Uh, yeah. Wow. Who, who else would you consider among your major influences? Well, of course, I love Patricia Highsmith. Oh, my God. What a genius. And I really like Louise Erdrich's work. I don't know if you know her work, but a lot of her work has murders in it, as does uh, Margaret Atwood's. Because the characters in both those writers, Louise Erdrich and Patricia Highsmith, as well as uh, Margaret Atwood, the characters are so, so strong. Wonderful characters. But of course, I love Elmore Leonard. He's amazing. I've read everything he's ever done. And his dialogue. I just love his dialogue. Oh, yeah. So prior to publishing Body on the Backlot, you've had a very successful career as a painter. How did being a visual artist prepare you to be an author? I think being a visual artist gave me immediate gratification that was just for me. And I have to say, when I write, even though it's very healing for me to write my story and to uh, expose what I think are deep, dark truths, the gratification comes when somebody else reads it. You might not ever hear from them. And I don't know if you know, but the part of your brain that you use to do art you know, painting is a different part of the brain that you use when you write. And I guess I just wanted both sides of my brain 
to be tickled. Well, let's say that Steve and I were going to pose for you to uh, paint. Would you suggest that we pose nude or would you suggest maybe a couple extra layers of clothes? I would definitely say nude. That's the right answer. And then I might suggest a mask. Just on, from the neck up, a mask. Can my mask be Steve's face and he wears my face? <laughs> no, 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 it can't be that at all. It has to be like an animal or a monster or, I don't know. Well, that's what he said. He said he, he was going to wear a Steve Loudon mask, <laughs> which is kind of monstrous. Well, that's it, Steve. There's another episode done. We want to thank our sponsor, Down and Out Books, once again. Seriously, Down and Out is publishing some of the best crime fiction going out there. You can't go wrong with really any of their titles. And I don't just say that because they happen to publish some of our books. Well, I mean, maybe I say that a little bit because of that. But this is the last episode before we head off to uh, Florida to see if we've won the Anthony Award. Who knows? Tune in here to find out because we're going to send you a couple of special episodes recorded right from the floor of the convention. But until then, Steve... What did we learn today? Aaron Philip Clark taught us to embrace the rage. I mean, it's all that's keeping us alive at this point. And Nick Kolakowski taught us about abandoned clown motels, so we know where we're both taking our wives and kids over Christmas break. And Ava Montealegre taught us that you're never really nude if you're wearing a mask. Well, you can always find us on Twitter, at WriterTypes, and please take a second to leave a review for the show on iTunes or Stitcher. This show is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. For more on Steve's books, visit swloudon.com. And for more on Eric's books, go to ericbeatner.com. We'll see you in Florida. Thanks for listening. <laughs>